Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Hi guys, quick one before we get into the episode. This episode is sponsored by Zencaster, which is the production suite that I've used from the very beginning of this podcast. And if you're interested in starting your own podcast, hang around at the end of the episode for our 30% discount referral code. Thanks. So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. <laughs> Are these your notes? These... <laughs> these are your notes about what we're going to say? Uh, anything. It's a short answer. <laughs> so how many novels did you not finish? Oh my from? God, so many. <laughs> it was perfect. What are you talking about? This is nonsense. Ooh, a spicy question. I love it. <laughs> this is it, guys. The big secret to getting published is you have to write a good book. <laughs> I heard it here first. We're going to... Hello and welcome back to the Right and Wrong podcast. I'm Jamie and joining me today is author, editor, Bookie McBookface herself, <laughs> Lily Linden. Hi, hey, Lily. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. What a lovely introduction. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is by no means your first rodeo. You, in mm. fact, have a podcast of your own. Oh, I do. I do. It's now quite defunct. Um, <laughs> I did it a couple of years ago, I guess. Um, mm. Gosh, maybe even pre-lockdown, um, uh, which is very fun. Yeah, it's called Whitlet. If anyone likes uh, listening to people talking about funny books, uh, they can go there. Wow, I haven't even been here for a minute and I'm already promoting my own <laughs> podcast. That's, I mean, that's what it's all about, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I haven't I haven't done it in a while. But um, yeah, maybe, maybe now that I'm sort of... Um, post-publication I should yeah. I should uh, revive it and um, yeah it's fun isn't it talking to people <laughs> it is yeah <laughs> especially about books and, and mm. just chatting about all the publishing stuff mm. so it is it's on hiatus it's not cancelled you you might come back to it at some I point. might come back to it um <laughs> yeah Let's watch the space yeah but there's no there's no schedule or anything. there is okay, no great. schedule yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay well let's Let's plug more of your stuff mm. um, and talk about the most uh, exciting news that your mm. debut novel, Double Booked, now out into the world. Yes, indeed. Amazing. How's the launch been? Uh, had a lovely party, which made me feel very glamorous. Yeah. Um, I know how rare it is to have um, a launch party, so I felt very uh sort of spoilt and uh, I felt like a lovely princess. Um, <laughs> I also sort of... Uh, I feel like the point of a launch is to, yes, make the author feel very nice and special, but also to get them to emotionally blackmail all of their friends into <laughs> buying a copy on the day. So, uh, yeah, it was just very funny sort of being in a room and being like, please, please, can you all <laughs> buy a copy of this book? Um, but, yeah, launch was good. I think it has just been, I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but um, it has been weird kind of now being on the uh, published you know, the author side, um, when I'm used to having been on the editor side. Um, so there have, uh, people sort of, I think, assume that I, um, I'm going to be more chill about the process because <laughs> I have some kind of like insider knowledge, but I feel like if anything, I don't know, um, I'm definitely still, uh, discovering things and, um, surprised by the whole, uh, experience. So, yeah. Yeah. I think based on the people I've spoken to, mm. it, no matter how much you know about how it works and how many times you've sort of been in proximity to that and seen it mm. happen you can't really 
uh, until you've experienced yourself you can't really know what it's like people often say like the second on the second book that's when you're sort of more relaxed about it because mm. you've done it once but mm. yeah. yeah well fingers crossed <laughs> <laughs> Um, so tell us about the book itself. Double booked um, for, for for me and everyone listening. What what is it about? What inspired you to write it? Yeah, well, um, you'd think I'd have my sort of elevate, elevator pitch by now. Um, well, you're done so, with that. It's already out. I don't <laughs> yeah, need that anymore. <laughs> I can do my essays again. Um, yeah, double booked. Um, well, it's a bisexual rom com. It's uh, about Georgina, who is a 27 year old living in London, and um, she thinks she's got her life, you know, completely sorted out. She's got a steady job as a piano teacher that she hates. She's got a a long-term boyfriend uh, who she does love. And um, she's got a sort of schedule of repeating events in her calendar. Uh, But one day her best friend um, takes her to go and see this um, cult lesbian pop band. And um, Georgina, seeing them, sort of realises a lot of things. She she realises that she misses performing and that she wishes that she was doing that again. And uh, she also, through her, um, uh, she also realises that she might not be straight because of her huge crush on the very sexy drummer. Um, so uh, Georgina doesn't know what to do. She doesn't want to lose her old life, um, but she's also feeling this draw into a new life um so she does what any sensible person would do and she splits her life in two uh she's going to be straight gina by day and gay george by night uh what could possibly go wrong well what, what indeed. <laughs> <laughs> well i mean it, brilliant stuff and and you are uh you surround yourself with funny people and you Ooh. are <laughs> yes i'm very lucky <laughs> you are you are known i think in the editing circles as working almost exclusively on funny um, mm, that's interesting yeah like that. yeah as i mean you said we were going to come back to and i'm immediately mm. going to circle back to it you have obviously been in proximity to lots of people going through these launches mm. going through um editing you you in your own work as an editor um you've worked on other people's books was it strange having been on that side of it for so long to sort of have your own work and then hand it over to another editor (laughs) (laughs) definitely yeah I think it probably helped that um my writing is quite different to the kinds of books that I was working on at the time um so I think that there was a kind of ability to compartmentalize in some way there um which was helpful I wasn't like working with sort of colleagues um on my own book if that makes sense um yeah. although you know that would have been great for nepotism but unfortunately I <laughs> I wrote something nepotism. very different yeah <laughs> um so yeah I think that um you know for example I think um my my editor who is Laura Palmer who's at head of Zeus um mm-hmm. is wonderful and I think she's uh, at the launch she sort of said something quite funny about um me being the only author that has ever sort of sent through editorial notes with my <laughs> with my book, so I think that there probably is a part of um, it where I'm 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 very I love the editorial process sort yeah. of from both sides, and I think that certainly some kind of um, some writers before they're published and sort of during that process, I think partly because publishing is just very opaque um, and sort of scary and people really care about their writing. And so editors can kind of seem like these faraway baddies. Um, And I think obviously I'm biased uh, and I think the editors are are wonderful and sort (laughs) of, uh, I really love that process. So I guess um, the editorial process for me was just one of the biggest joys and the feeling of sort of talking to someone 
in depth about something that I'd made up uh, was, you know, just really, really fun. And um, I really value all of their input. And I think, um, you know, they've made the book so much better through their suggestions. And um, also, I think having those other people involved just um, sort of gave me permission to, I guess, challenge myself to try and make it the best that it could be as well. I think there's only so far that you can go by yourself because, um you sort of start to see the book in a certain way or you just, you know, you just get fed up because you've been yeah. working on it by yourself for ages and having other people uh, looking at it, it just felt like this real, you know, reinvigoration. And that's what I'm currently experiencing with book two as well. Um, because I am, uh, I've just had my editorial notes, um, for book two. So I'm sort of, uh, very excited about, uh, getting to do that again, um, and make it, make it out of the pile of poo that it currently is and into, <laughs> into something legible. Oh, that's great. And, um, head of Zeus obviously picked this up. Um, yeah. Laura chose it when, when you were, you're no longer an editor with uh, penguin Random mm. House. You're, you're now at novel, which mm-hmm. we'll get onto later. Um, when you were, working as an editor were you involved with the um the the choosing of books and and that kind of commissioning process yeah I was um I did I did commission a few books I suppose um so I had a uh, I don't know if it's helpful but um a little potted I guess uh, my my career um was <laughs> that my my first job was um in publicity actually at Penguin um I was on something called the scheme which is a kind of traineeship and my first job was uh, in the children's department in publicity. Mm. And I then went over to Transworld, which is a kind of commercial imprint um, as part of Penguin Random House. And then I moved over to Vintage, um, which is, I guess, a more kind of literary um, imprint uh, uh, division, although they do have uh, a lot of variety as well. And it was there that I then um, became an editor through, you know, the various uh, moving rounds and moving ups. Yes. And when I was commissioning, I... I only commissioned when I moved into the classics department. So I guess I I sort of, um, I think I've had probably quite, I mean, there isn't a typical trajectory in publishing at all, but I think I, something that was, I guess, unusual about me was that I did have quite a lot of breadth, I guess, in the kinds of things that I was working on. Um, Whereas I think some people do specialize sort of very early and then continue to remain in that kind of, you know, genre publishing, say. Um, so I was commissioning, yes, but I was um, more involved with kind of classics, which is quite a different sort of part of the industry. Mm. So I was sometimes working um, with commissioning kind of uh, new new writers, um, either because I was involved with, say, you know, reading manuscripts for other editors. Um, there is a lot of collaboration um, internally. Uh, so, you know, for example even if uh, one editor is the person who actually kind of buys the rights to something, there will probably have been, you know, three or four other editors who read it at the same time and were giving, you know, their sort of uh, uh, praise in order for it to get, you know, bought and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So it is very team uh, orientated. But I guess the commissioning that I was doing was 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 slightly different. Um, I was maybe commissioning essays to go at the front of uh, classic books, or it was more about, um, say, books that had fallen out of print and buying the rights to those. Or it was, say, books that were uh, being translated into English for the first time and sort of acquiring the rights to those. So by the time that I was commissioning, I didn't have as much of that sort of, I guess, editorial um, uh, input uh, yeah. Because the authors were dead, <laughs> and uh, and I wasn't going to be sort of uh, claiming to change Jane Austen or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you don't want to do that. 
no, you don't want to do that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was kind of more of a, uh, the parts of my role that I really uh, enjoyed were things like, um, you, you know, something I'm proud of, I guess, is um, commissioning the uh, the love letters of Virginia Woolf and Vita Sackville West. And mm. I guess what was different about that was I ended up sort of um, editing that myself. So I put the, you know, um, the, the sort of extracts, I chose those and selected them and ordered them and, you know, wrote the little introductory bits. Um, so I suppose, yeah, it was quite an unusual, I guess, um, editorial uh, experience at that stage. But I'd sort of come through all of these different uh, various bits, which meant that I did have that um, experience of more... Uh, in-depth editorial bits earlier yeah. on. Um, sorry, I've spoken for a very long time there. No, that's so. <laughs> so interesting. That's a whole side of editorial that I wasn't really aware of. In, yeah. in my mind, being a commissioning editor is you read all the submissions from the agents and yes. you pick the ones that you think are going to. So that's really interesting to know that. Yeah. That and, that. and, you know, there is, um, there is a part of that because, you know, for example, um, there would be there are wonderful you know uh, heritage or classic kind of agents. So for example, um, over at Curtis Brown, um, the the wonderful Nora and Becky are sort of a real powerhouse of classic rights. So they would be sending things if um, something came up. Um, so there would definitely still be that element of you know you're reading manuscripts and you're talking to your team about it and you take it through the the um, acquiring process, the acquisitions process in house. Yeah. So that kind of stuff was still there. It I just at the point that I was commissioning, there was a slightly different, I guess, relationship with the words in a way. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so that's why I guess I now really enjoy being at the Novelry where my job is not about the publishing, but it is about that really in-depth kind of um, editorial feedback part of the job. Um, so yeah, I feel like I've experienced different parts of it at different times in in sort of quite a fun way. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, s- since we're on the Novelry now. Yeah, why don't you tell us the sort of services and things that Novelry offers? Yeah, so um, the it's Novelry... It's very different. It's not a publisher in the same way. No, exactly. It's um, So the Novelry is, is, is kind of creative writing workshops, essentially. Um, it, it's a kind of community uh, for, for writers. Um, and there are these um, various different courses. Um, but there's also, I think, something that is really cool about it um, is that there are the options for people to um, have uh, feedback and sort of mentorship from uh, published authors and editors. Um, Of which you are both. Of of which I am both, (laughs) yes. Um, I I sort of have my editor hat on at the Novelry. Um, But there are brilliant authors who do tutoring and mentoring. And what that means is, you know, uh, one of the services, for example, that you can get if you're an aspiring writer is to send through your manuscript and get, you know, detailed line by line feedback on your manuscript and uh, also then, you know, talk through all of the structural notes. So what I think that what I think is cool about that is that normally a writer wouldn't get that until post, you know, the, the book has been bought. Yeah. Uh, so normally you might get that, I guess, from your agent once you've signed with them. Um, But if you are someone who is desperately trying to get an agent and trying to get published, you don't really have the opportunities for that kind of um, really detailed sort of expert feedback um, very often. Obviously, there are other services that do kind of manuscript assessments. But I think that, um, yeah, what I like about my sort of role there is being able to talk um, 
to the people whose work I've then sort of given this feedback to. Um, It feels like a kind of potted author-editor relationship, um, and I get to do that with sort of lots of different um, brilliant sort of aspiring writers. So, um, yeah, that is a really fun part of the job for me. Awesome. So you're a bit more connected than you might be working at um, a big publishing house. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, um, when you're an editor and you're publishing someone, yeah, the the relationship is 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 you know brilliant and very close, but you um you know you have various different editors, uh, uh, you have various different writers on your list, and um you will tend to work very very closely with people at certain times in the kind of I guess writing schedule. So you know you'll you'll speak to them a lot around edits and then around publication, but there will be big gaps in between where you don't really you know speak to each other. Um, and I guess, yeah, so something that I quite like about the novelry is that you get to sort of do just those intense bits, like, all the time, <laughs> yeah. um, without the sort of gaps in between. I don't know. Yeah. No, it sounds like a really nice, um, sort of just similar, you, I mean, you're effectively mechanically working in a similar way, but it's a nice way to be sort of, um, I, yeah, I guess, in, in a closer kind of relationship with the author itself. Yeah. Do you mostly, uh, the, the people that, the work with novelry is it mostly unagented authors yeah i guess um sometimes there are people who um have you know got an agent or they've been published and they're working on another novel and they just want um you know some more i guess structure or feedback Mm. or um advice um but it tends to be people who have um you know wanted to write a novel for ages and then they do a course for example one of the like write a novel in 90 days kind of courses or it will be someone who has been writing for years and years and they they sort of want um in-depth feedback about their work um in order to sort of move it forward so yeah we're kind of like pre pre-agent agents in a way i guess <laughs> <laughs> okay amazing and, and and speaking of agents um i'm aware that your book ended up in was it a four-way auction Something like that, yeah. So, oh, something like that. Something, something like every that. Author I think that was nice. Oh yeah, happening. yeah. It was really lovely. Yeah. <laughs> um, eventually, obviously, getting picked up by Head of Zeus. But mm. w- were you were you signed with an agent when that was happening? Yeah, yeah. So, so my agent is um, the lovely Heli Ogden at Janklo Nesbit, um, uh-huh. who is currently on maternity, like everyone else in publishing. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, um, yeah. I guess um, I sent it out um to uh yeah a few agents um and i think it, i know it sort of sounds so sort of falsely modest now but i i think i just really didn't expect anyone to be interested in it so i i didn't think hugely i think i wanted a sort of signal from people that was either oh my god lily this is embarrassing please stop <laughs> or that was like lily there is something good here but like here's a little bit of you know feedback about how to sort of take this forwards yeah and yeah so obviously it was like flattering and uh yeah I know this sounds gross but uh just quite surprising when people were interested um but uh yeah Heli uh, I think um (laughs) yeah there were some wonderful people uh I think part of the problem was that there were some agents who I just like wanted to be friends with (laughs) and I was like oh I feel like I probably shouldn't um have an agent that I just really want to like go to parties with um uh, not that I wouldn't want to go to a party with Heli, but I think there's, uh, she sort of has more of a, uh, she was more of an authoritative person for me. And I was like, okay. oh, she's she's going to 
tell me off if I don't meet my deadlines. And oh, that was what I wanted. Right, so, yeah, yeah. Um, That's what you needed. As exactly, yeah, exactly. Um, rather than, yeah, uh, sort of someone that I desperately wanted to go and get drunk with. Um, You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. So, uh, yeah, that was lovely. And then uh, Heli gave me some great uh, notes and I reworked it for a few months. And then we submitted in, I don't know, something like... um, March, I think. So I'd, I'd, I'd signed with her at Christmas, um, which was a again just a really dumb time for me to be sending it out, but I, it all worked <laughs> out, so it's fine. Um, uh, yeah, and then we sent it out in something like March, um, and that was you know uh, just a real weird week because you know you just have no uh, you just have no idea whether things are going to sort of. Um, go very quickly or very slowly mm. or um yeah. and i think having seen it go both ways or like complete variety of ways i think i was sort of aware of how much of a lottery that whole process can be yeah. um i think yeah the most the loveliest part of that process was you know it was obviously horrifying in a lot of ways because <laughs> um i didn't have much self-preservation and i asked heli to send me all of the rejection emails as well um oh which, I see which you're a masochist <laughs> yes yeah i love to hate myself um so yeah that was kind of slightly weird but um also helpful you know and and a lot of the feedback that people were like you know that gave in those even when they were saying you know that they weren't that they weren't going to pursue it um I worked a lot of that feedback in um, during the editorial process um, when it then did go. So, um, you know, it, it, it was helpful, you know, horrible, but helpful. Yes. And um, yeah, it was just so exciting to speak to people. I think um, that was what was so lovely about it was the, the people who, um, you know, it is, it's a, it's a huge amount of work that editors put in to make a pitch. Um, you know, if you as, as the author are lucky enough to have, sort of multiple people interested um it does feel a bit like i'm the bell of the ball and people are sort of trying to you know get on my dance card and yeah. that is really lovely and um speaking to people and like knowing that these are brilliant editors and each of them having like a different take on where the book could go like what direction they'd want to take it in the things that they loved about it the things that they think could be improved was just like so cool and um yeah, really valuable, uh, as well as just being very sort of, yeah, surreal, I think. Yeah. Um, having I people, yeah, just like people saying the names of characters and being like, oh my God, these people know yeah. Yeah, <laughs> who, yeah, these, yeah. who these made up things are. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was really fun. You know what's so funny is that that description is, like, I've heard that description many times mm. from, from like debut authors of this, uh, this kind of like, it's just amazing to speak to um, someone who's like talking about my characters as mm. if they're as real to them as they are to me, these like made up, you know, characters yeah. and places and stuff. And it's funny that you, as someone who was like 
worked in the industry for such a long time as an editor and like you've done all that thing all that stuff from the other side but it still was like you were nervous to send it to agents you you were like weren't sure how they were going to respond to it you didn't you were still excited when the publishers were interested like it's funny that you still have all that kind of joy and stuff from it yeah well I think it's you know it's different when it's you isn't it yeah exactly um, I will say I think there was something funny about when I was speaking to the editors who were interested um I think I, I did have a bit of a like something at the back of my brain was being like taking tips from them about like how to do a good pitch and like <laughs> noticing what it was that like convinced me, you know, um, uh, the, the yeah, things yeah. that were really appealing and being like, oh, they did, you know, they sent this kind of email. Oh, I must do that in the future. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was a good sort of insider thing to do as well. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've spoken to a couple of editors mm. on, the, on the show and it's uh often when because a lot of editors also write um their own novels and and the, a, a lot of them have said um being edited by someone else was kind of weird and hard but also taught them so much as an editor mm. about not just like the editing process itself but also how to speak to the author and things like that yeah yeah i mean i just you know it's part of what I love about sort of working in a creative industry, I think, is that feeling that there are these other people who have great ideas. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and um, when, of course, when it's like your own ideas, um, there's going to be sort of like different complications there about how you respond to it. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's always just like, um, uh, yeah, just really exciting to sort of be reminded that you're working with people who you think are cool and who have like creative brains. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. always just a real kind of uh, pleasure and privilege of the role. Yeah. And that everyone's uh, an individual and has, mm. like you were saying, they all had, every editor has their own take, their own spin on sort of the direction that they want it to go. And that goes back to what you mentioned earlier about how people often, editors sometimes get a bad rep because <laughs> people just see them as the person that sort of, dismantles and, and sort of manhandles your beautiful creation mm. but I found this when I first sort of tried to get involved with publishing and things like that I I think agents have a similar thing for mm. would-be writers where you don't see the person you just see agent agent mm. agent and, and then if if you don't see the individual personalities and the way that each of these agents sort of interacts with people and books you, you you sort of think of them as just gatekeepers mm. and I guess it's the same for editors but you have to appreciate that every editor is different there everyone has their own quirks things they like ways they operate and they're all just trying to do their best yeah completely like in any job and you know and sometimes you will get lucky and sometimes you'll get unlucky that actually there'll be someone who for whatever reason has like a different kind of approach but yeah. I think it's helpful to be like if someone bought your book it's probably because it resonated with them and because they you know it's really difficult as an editor to acquire something mm. um there is a huge amount of like work that happens internally in order to kind of make your case for why you should you know spend money on this book and spend a lot of time on this book and so um I don't know yeah I think if writers sort of remember that like this is someone is like another human being is like putting a huge amount of themselves into this book because they love it and because yeah. they see real potential in it. Hopefully that helps to sort of view that 
uh, editorial process as people who are like all trying to get the same thing, which is to try and get your book to the best point it can be. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think, um, and just put yeah. it out into the world. Yeah. A hundred percent. Um, and yeah, I think viewing it as like, it's a helpful reminder that art is completely subjective. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, you might have like 10 people giving you feedback and each one of them might say something different, but what's helpful is to see what they are saying that is the same (laughs) and um, to, you know, recognize that, you know, your favorite book has got a variety of reviews on Goodreads. And Mm -hmm. if you can look at your favorite book and people are giving it one star reviews, you know, it, it sort of, I think, helps to not take things as personally. I mean, I'm giving this advice out and obviously I don't, you know, take it myself. But I think, you know, if, if you remember that actually these things are subjective and that is a blessing and a curse, you know, because it means that if actually someone gives you feedback that you don't agree with, if you can, if you can take that uh, feedback in good faith and to go, oh, right, like I, I, I see what you're saying and this is the reason why I don't agree, that is going to be so much more helpful for everyone mm-hmm. than just assuming that people have like your worst intentions at heart. Like it makes no sense to think of an editor as like wanting the worst for your book. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but that doesn't mean it's not like difficult, you know. But yeah. Um, yeah. I think when it comes to agents, editors, for writers, it's mm. the most important thing is about finding the right match. I think, Mm, you know, find the right match for the writing, for the author, for the, like, you all need to be on the same wavelength because if you go into a contract with an agent or an editor or or whatever it may be, even, even the publisher, you know, the Mm. wider publisher and you're at odds through the entire thing, it's not going to bode well, I think, for the production of the, of whatever the project is. Yeah. And I think, you know, I guess it's probably just, you know, general life advice, but I feel like if you can try to get to the heart, you know, if there is sort of a conflict for it on whatever scale to try and understand why it is that the other person is sort of saying that, um, Mm -hmm. whether it's, for example, that actually they're coming at it from a kind of commercial point of view and you're coming at it from a different kind of point of view that I think is helpful for them being able to actually find whether a middle ground is helpful or, or whether actually, you know, you might change your mind about what the right thing to do is, um, you know, certainly something that was interesting with Double Booked is, you know, there aren't really very many bisexual rom-coms out there. Um, And so there was a sort of, I guess, a bit of a feeling of people having different ideas about where it would go in the market. So for some people viewing it as much more commercial and for some people viewing it as, I guess, more upmarket. Um, And similarly, some people being like, I'd market this very much as a rom-com and some people saying, actually, it's, you know, we wouldn't be marketing it as a rom-com, we'd be marketing it as a coming of age story or, or, you know. And I think remembering that um, packaging and, and sort of thinking about how to publish a novel is a huge part of the editor's job and the agent's job. And it's always going to be difficult because I think when you're a writer, you sort of have this feeling almost of like that infinite potential of what your book could end up sort of looking like. In the, you know, you don't really, I don't know, I certainly didn't have this very, maybe this was silly of me being an editor, but I didn't really sort of think about, oh, what's the cover going to look like? What's this, you know, until it kind of happens. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I think that's sort of another important part of making that, if you are, you know, in that position where you're sort of deciding between publishers or or deciding whether to accept an offer or or whatever it is Mm. um i think trying to get in touch with what it is that you value about it as well whether it's you know actually 
I'm going to go with someone who is maybe has got a smaller budget, but I really feel like they understand, you know, the sort of meaning of it in, in a different way yeah. or, you know, whatever, whatever it yeah. is that you view as your kind of value system with it. Um, yeah, I definitely agree. Great advice. A great advice, I think, throughout life, as you said. Also, <laughs> same approach with agents. I, I've mm. found where, um, you know, if you're lucky enough to have multiple agents wanting to represent you, there's arguments to be made for take, let's say you had an older experienced agent who had, you know, been doing this for years and years. Obviously there's so much weight behind that, but at the same time, I think there's a great argument for a new agent who's just starting to build that list because you know that they're going to fight nonstop for everything that you do and things like that definitely so. definitely and you know don't don't underestimate the sort of ambition as well exactly. of, of the people at the beginnings of their careers yeah the moral of the story is be open to everyone listen to everyone and try and figure out what everyone is offering yeah and i also think that it comes before that as well when you're thinking about who to send your book out to in the first place that yeah I mean, obviously, the, the kind of classic advice of, you know, don't send it out to an agent who doesn't you know represent books like yours. It's just a waste of time for everyone. But yes, I think that, you know, if you if you have the best, um, I guess, optimism for your book and where it would sort of fly, um, where it would sort of uh, grow the best, yeah. then I think it is easier to sort of narrow down. And again, I'm sort of giving this advice out, having not followed it myself. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it sort of worked out well for me um, yeah. and I, I, my agent's great. But um, I think that I guess my advice to, to writers who are at that point of maybe, you know, being about to, you know, uh, send out um, to agents is, I guess, to sort of try and be a bit creepy about it and sort of look up the agents, see if you kind of feel like you would resonate with this person. Look at the books that they publish, you know, see if they're on Twitter. Do do you feel like they are championing other people's books in the way that you hope they'll champion yours? You know, mm -hmm. do you really admire the people who they represent? And I think don't, you know, it's not going to be helpful to send it out to someone who you don't sort of uh, have any connection with at all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think you can sort of self-select uh, as early a stage as possible. And that will mean that when you are then choosing between people, you're sort of, you know, an abundance of riches, I guess. Yes. I think generally people have much more success when they have done the research and sent their submission to a small group of agents mm. versus just the carpet bombing of send mass emails to, to everybody. Yeah. And I think you can tell, you know, when you get that email in, you know, as mm -hmm. an, I've seen it where, you know, you can tell if it's a sort of template email or if it is, you know, directed at you for a reason. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it doesn't, um, uh, it help it helps feel excited about sending it out as well. I think if, yeah. if you sort of feel like, Oh my God, imagine if this agent loves me. <laughs> 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 that's it that's it well i mean uh you mentioned the the cover i think the cover's brilliant i love oh the, good thanks the split the side i mean it's nothing to do with me middle. but <laughs> <laughs> well yeah. yeah well you inspired it so you yes. can take that <laughs> yeah let's let's do that yeah. you also have a sausage dog on the front and as someone raised in a dashing <gasps> family I, oh my god uh, it's always a win with me oh so. my god yay what's your sausage dog called um i don't i don't actually have one but <gasps> i i grew up my whole life we always had pairs of sausage dogs and <gasps> my my mum has one my sister has one yeah. oh my god what are yeah. their names i must know <laughs> uh my sisters uh basil and parsley <gasps> oh my god 
and my mum's is muddle. Oh my gosh. So in, in Double Booked, um, the, 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 the part of the reason that there's a sausage dog on the cover um, is because uh, Georgina's mum uh, has, has a sausage dog called Bunny, uh, which yeah. is short for in a bun. Um, <laughs> uh, and Georgina's dad, um, they, they've always had a sausage dog in the family and uh-huh. um, the dad used to uh, give them stupid, increasingly stupid names. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, it's really delightful to, to hear of some real life <laughs> Oh yeah, silly names. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's whole <laughs> communities of sausage dog owners. Um, it's a rabbit hole. I'll tell oh you my that. god, so good. <laughs> and with that, let's <laughs> let's do the final question, which, yes. as always, is Lily. If you were stranded on a desert island and could take a single book, which book would it be? Well, as everyone, I've been thinking about this, and obviously, I want to try and sound really smart and clever and cool um, in my choice. Um, and I also want <laughs> to sound as if thing. I'm being very original. Um, <laughs> I feel like, honestly, I feel like I would want to take some kind of self-help book. Mm-hmm. I would want to take something that's going to help me deal with the situation. And I think that what I would love is some which. Uh, I'd need recommendations. Um, I want some kind of like Buddhist manual. Um, Ideally, I guess one that's long and one that's really good. And I think I'd want it to be a book that I haven't read before um, because I'm hoping that it would then provide me um, with, I guess, the the sort of key to enlightenment, um, which I can then enjoy the island um, before my uh, death. This sounds like a great <laughs> hypothetical book that you've, that you've created. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, is it cheating to say I don't know what the book is, but I'm hoping that, um, yeah, that maybe that the universe would sort of recommend it to me um, yeah. and it would be, you know, on the plane when I crash and that would actually be my sort of origin story to enlightenment. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I'd not envisioned you ending up there in a plane crash, but oh. I like that you've added that little Oh God, yeah. That, there we go. <laughs> Clearly just my imagination running wild. I'm doing a whole lost situation yeah, on this. Yeah, I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, with a great twist where it's purgatory the whole time. Yeah, it was purgatory <laughs> the whole time. How original. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, wh- that was no, no offence to stories that end up being about purgatory. I love that stuff. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, it sounds amazing. You, you you want a book which you're not sure exists to give you the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Is that? That's, yeah, that's, that's about, about it. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and if not, then I guess you know Terry Pratchett. <laughs> yes, oh, Terry Pratchett would be mine. Which Terry Pratchett? If I could oh, force you to pick one. Okay, I think it would have to probably be We Free Men. Okay. Yeah. I love the Tiffany Aching stories, mm. oh, but I also love the Vimes. I've oh, this is tricky. Um, <laughs> I also have never read um, what is it, Shepherd's Crown, the last one in the Tiffany Aching. Because um, have you have you read it? It was I've I think known. one of the last ones um, that he wrote before he died, and I I, I sort of I think there's an introduction about. Um, it wasn't really finished, you know, but they, uh, they published it because it was kind of in a kind of near, near publication state. But um, I think, yeah, rather superstitiously, I've sort of, I've got a copy of it, but I, I've been sort of not reading it because I sort of feel like it would, I don't know, be end. closure on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It would be like, oh God. But 
um, this is just, I'm, I'm just going on about Terry Pratchett now. But um, <laughs> I could go I, on about Terry Pratchett oh, God. For me, it would be Small Gods. Oh, yeah, a real I banger. I love Small Gods. I only listened to that uh, really recently. I listened to it as an audiobook. <laughs> oh, how was yeah. it? Was it good? good really good. I actually really, I can't remember his name now. That's bad, isn't it? Maybe I could just <laughs> Google it now. Terry Pratchett, audiobooks. <laughs> Oh yeah, um, Tony. Uh, come on, Tony. Yeah, Tony Robinson. Oh, from Blackadder. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah, he narrates yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, yeah. He, I think he does almost all of the Pratchett ones, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. He's great. Oh, or maybe it's Nigel. Who's the original one? <laughs> oh, Tony Robinson. But I tell you what, I, before this could go on for hours, so yes, I'm going yeah. to wrap this this up. <laughs> I hope you'll cut that bit out. But um, yeah, Terry Pratchett, great. I would. Um, I still have some that I haven't read, and I've been deliberately sort of saving them as a treat for whenever I'm in a sort of reading rut or whatever. So I guess yeah, if I can't have this Buddhist book that doesn't exist, then <laughs> one of the Terry Pratchetts that I haven't read. That would yeah. be really nice. Similar kind of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. They're the same thing. Yeah. They definitely <laughs> teach you how to live a better life. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, thanks so much, Lily, for coming on the show and sharing all of your experience, telling us uh, about the book, Double Booked, which is out now. You can go and get it, telling us about novelry and your experience as an editor. It's been really, really amazing chatting with you. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Jamie. Thank you very much for having me. You are so welcome. And for <laughs> everyone listening, if you want to keep up with what Lily is doing, you can follow her on Twitter at Lily underscore Linden or on Instagram at Bookface. Yeah. <laughs> Which it was actually, funny when I made it. I think it's still funny. I, okay, I saw it and I laughed out loud by myself <laughs> at the computer. But <laughs> to make sure you don't miss an episode of this podcast, follow us on Twitter at Right and Wrong UK or on Instagram at Right and Wrong Podcast. You can also find us on Facebook. Thanks again to Lily and thanks to everyone listening. We'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks for hanging around until the end. If you're interested in starting your own podcast but aren't really sure what that looks like, I can't recommend Zencaster enough. It's so simple to host, record and download your podcast with and it even has a built-in transcription AI. It functions entirely in the internet browser, which means all your guests have to do is click on a link and they'll be brought into the conversation. If you click on the link in the description, you'll get 30% off the first three months. All you have to do is click on the link in the description. Thanks again for supporting the show and we'll see you in the next episode.